Welcome to 5 to 4, where we dissect and analyze. Haha, <laughs> just kidding. I would never. Peter is too good at the metaphors. Hey, everybody, it's Rhiannon. This week, we've got something cool for you. Katie and Cody over at Even More News invited us to be guests on their show this week. They wanted us to talk about voting rights cases at the Supreme Court, talk about H.R. 1 a little bit, and also to explain very capably, without any stumbles at all, absolutely flawlessly, explain the filibuster. So definitely tune in for that. We had such a good time hanging out with them that we wanted to share the episode in our feed with all of our listeners this week. And if you end up liking the show and you want to subscribe, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for even more news. Next week, we've got another case episode for you. It's Hoffman Plastics versus the National Labor Relations Board. Really cool case about, you know, the bad parts of immigration law, the bad parts of labor law, all mixed in into one. But for now, go ahead and enjoy even more news. See ya. Hello and welcome back to Even More News, the first and only news podcast. My name is Katie Stoll. Hi, accurate Katie Stoll. Name mine is Cody Johnston. We got there eventually, folks. And hey, guess what? This is nothing to see here. <laughs> just, a, just a normal episode of Even More News, except, wait a second, what's this breaking news? April Fools, you fools. We got you good. Because today's not actually April Fool's. Yesterday was April Fool's. Also, this is not a normal episode of Even More News. Today, we are having a very special crossover event with the hosts of 5 to 4 Pod, Peter, Rhiannon, and Michael. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey. Uh, we are Thanks so having us. thrilled to have you. Yes, we are so excited to have you. I feel like I've said that in every single email I sent planning this <laughs> a while back. I actually had tweeted that we were looking uh, to speak with a constitutional lawyer, and I received an overwhelming amount of responses from our listeners saying, "Like you guys have to have the five to four pod guys on. It's going to be epic." Um, I, I don't want to put that pressure on to make it epic, but we are thrilled to finally make it happen. <laughs> the the first time that Twitter had like good positive results. Yeah. Okay. Cool. First and like last. It. Yes. First and last. Just like this is the first and only news podcast. Mm. Isn't that wild that there aren't more? One day. Um, I would have thought that there would be more. Yeah. At this point, after the last four years, anyway. Um, before we we get started today, I just want we just want to get to know you guys a little bit. Uh, why don't why don't you start by telling us about your show and and what you guys are are doing over there? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Rhiannon, and along with Michael and Peter, my co-hosts here, we have a podcast about um, the Supreme Court and how much it sucks. Uh, <laughs> you know, broadly, we kind of offer like leftist critique of Supreme Court cases, like especially in the modern, like conservative era. Mm -hmm. um, we cover a different Supreme Court case every episode, and and we basically just talk about how problematic it is and and what a political circus the Supreme 
Court is, uh, contrary to popular belief. Um, <laughs> you know, our, our, our very first episode was about Bush v. Gore. We've covered affirmative action cases, abortion cases, um, cases on the power of the police. And um, actually, we just started a Patreon where listeners can sign up for premium episodes about, like, specific justices like Antonin Scalia mm. or all the stupid ways, like, law school teaches you the Constitution should be interpreted. And um, and we've been having fun in, in Zoom chats and on Slack with patrons also. So it's a good time. We're really, no, we're really You're really selling, Ray. Thank you. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was sold already because I've listened and I love it, but... What you've laid out is the exact demographic of our show. <laughs> you know, Amazing. I, I, I think that our <laughs> listeners are going to are going to love it. Um, how did you guys what are, what are your backgrounds? How did you guys start working together? Oh, we're all lawyers. Yeah, you are. Uh, we're all lawyers and we're all lawyers mm-hmm. online. Uh, That'll do it. it the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was the World Wide yeah. Web that brought us together. Um, no, but I'm a public defender down in Texas and um, Peter and Michael are I don't know, a stupid kind of lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would that be? <laughs> I I consider myself a regular lawyer. Um, That's when people ask what I do. Okay. Regular lawyer. When I think of a stupid lawyer, I kind of think of like a Giuliani or something. And, and so far, you, you guys are far more impressive. Right. I, I did some corporate work and uh, also okay. some political work. Um, worked for uh, a PAC, founded a PAC. So... Yeah, not that stupid a lawyer, Rhiannon. <laughs> <laughs> you, you had to go through quite a lot of school, whatever kind of lawyering mm-hmm. you're doing. So that was that was I, stupid. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I will attest that was a stupid yeah. decision. <laughs> I think I think I'm smart enough to know that you're smarter than me, which is why I was smart enough to have you on here today to talk to us. Uh, about voting rights, which is what we're about to get to. But you guys mentioned a Patreon. Um, How long have you guys uh, had that up? We want to definitely funnel people over there. Maybe I should save that for the end, but might as well mention it twice. Yeah, we've been doing it for like a month. Is that right? Just like a little over a month? Not long. Oh, welcome. Yeah. Yeah. I've found it to be, I, I don't speak for Cody, a game changer, can, truly, truly liberating. Cody and I are both very grateful to Patreon.com. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, to 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 build a community like that, and to just it takes away needing to answer a higher up. You get to you have a community of people supporting the thing that they believe in, and it's it's been a really beautiful experience for us. So I'm excited for you guys. Yeah, it's been yeah, fun. we're really pumped too. It's 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 very like um, I feel like instead of having to answer to higher corporate powers, instead we are subject to the whims of our disgusting <laughs> listeners, <laughs> who we despise. It's a different That's, kind of resentment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like we should get started because we've got a lot mm-hmm. to go through. Um, I, I already mentioned that today we are going to be talking about voting rights. Uh, recently, this is been in the news. I mean, it's been in the news a lot, uh, but especially uh, this month, because uh, earlier in March, uh, the House passed H.R. 1. Uh, we're going to talk about H.R. 1 in depth later on. But for right now, I'll just say uh, that it is an overhaul of federal voting regulations 
if it passes the Senate, which probably won't happen if we, at the very least, uh, don't amend the filibuster. But uh, if it did, it would make many changes to voting rights, campaign finance, uh, ethics regulations. Uh, And while this is long overdue, uh, it's even more urgent uh, as we are seeing Republican legislators planning to pass all sorts of uh, state-level laws targeting voting rights. Uh, And sure enough, last week, we just saw that Georgia passed several restricted changes to their voting laws that blatantly and disproportionately affect communities of color uh, with restrictions like requiring ID for mail-in voting, making it illegal to pass out food or water in in voting lines, uh, lines that you can recall from your recent memory can be long and hot. I believe they are also reducing the number of early voting drop boxes and moving them inside, uh, limiting the hours uh, that voting would be available. Uh, This is widely been declared a Jim Crow 2.0. And the optics certainly weren't help when the law was signed in front of a plantation painting or the fact that Democratic State Rep Park Cannon, who is a black woman, was arrested as she knocked on the door to the news conference and was dragged through the Capitol in handcuffs. Um, three different groups immediately filed lawsuits. And, and I say all of this to kind of set the stage for our conversation today. Uh, and I guess I'm, I'm going to kind of let you guys take this from here, because like I mentioned, you're always smarter than me. Or Cody. Sorry, Cody. We're going to do our best. <laughs> we're gonna, you're yeah. just going to try to listen and ask intelligent questions <laughs> as best as we can. <laughs> Intelligent <laughs> questions, and if we do, if we mess up, it's fine because it'll get edited out anyway. That's right, <laughs> perfect. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I the the Georgia bill is particularly egregious. Uh, yeah. The food and water thing. When I first heard it, I sort of was like, well, maybe maybe they're getting at something. Like, I don't really. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is being misconstrued a little bit. And then I I looked into it and was like, nope, no, it's uh, that's it. You just no, no, no little water bottles in line. Um, one out of every three voting machines is going to be booby trapped. I think. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I, I always sneak in extra ballots through water bottles, so yeah. maybe this was smart. You know. Yeah, I I think the idea is that like if I'm going in and I'm going to vote for Trump, and then someone hands me a bottle of water and they're wearing a Biden shirt, I'm like, hmm. You know, maybe I'm going about this all wrong. <laughs> I was going to vote for Trump, but this Biden guy yeah. gave me one bottle of water. Yeah, <laughs> I think that like the the way the place to start with voting rights is uh, in in the Constitution. Um, and when you sort of take a step back and conceptualize this as like uh, the arc of history, you know, the original constitutional structure uh, essentially provides no right to vote and was designed to kind of construct a, an oligarchy, mm-hmm. right? Almost explicitly. Um, yeah. So all the original constitution says about voting is that voting requirements for congressional elections are determined by the states and for presidential elections, each state appoints its own electors who vote for the president. Uh, and obviously now those electors are pretty much symbolic, but that's not how they were intended. They were intended to be our oligarchic ru- rulers. Uh, you know, the, every, the guy with the tallest top hat in the room is your, uh, <laughs> is your elector. <laughs> um, and so 
no real right to vote in the Constitution as it's originally written. Uh, that sort of changes after the Civil War when the Reconstruction Amendments are passed. And they don't create a right to vote, but they sort of refer to right, rights to vote in the 14th and 15th Amendments, mostly with the intent of um, protecting the black vote, the freed slave vote after the war. Um, and to sort of despite that, for the next nearly a century, um, you still see tons of what we would now view as voter suppressive uh, tactics, uh, poll taxes, literacy tests, all sorts of obstruction. Um, and things only really start to shift in the 50s and 60s. Um, the 24th Amendment passes in 1964, and that bans literacy tests. In 65, the Voting Rights Act is passed. Uh, and at the same time, the Supreme Court under Earl Warren, uh, the famous liberal chief justice, is handing down these seminal decisions that are protecting voting rights, uh, using the, those Reconstruction men- Amendments as like his basis uh, and creating a principle of one man, one vote. Uh, so in, in 1966, the court strikes down uh, pretty explicitly racist redistricting practices. Uh, they strike down poll taxes the same year. Um, and so, you know, that combined with the Voting Rights Act and there's sort of this new normal where the individual right to vote is relatively strong and it sort of stays that way. Uh, conservatives take over the court later in the uh, in the 20th century and the right gets the right to vote gets a little bit weaker. Um, but I think the turning point is sort of Bush v. Gore, which was sort of this revelatory moment for conservatives who were like, oh, oh, we can do anything. You know, uh, if if you get away with stealing an election uh, while everyone's looking, then the sort of limits of what you can use the courts for are boundless. And so something we talk about on our podcast a lot is like 10, 15 years ago, a huge part of the political conversation was like, what are Republicans going to do? Right. The electorate's getting less white. Uh, it's getting younger. Um, the demographics are shifting and they're going to need to uh, start changing their politics. Um, and instead, they were just like, you know, maybe maybe not everybody votes, right? And, yeah. Um, <laughs> or and, instead of that. that sound, it sounds hard. It sounds like a lot of hard work instead of. Um, yeah, that there is like a there's a really long uh, conference call where someone was like, guys, I don't <laughs> I don't mean to be, a, to be out of line here. But what if. Uh, and that guy's Mitch McConnell, you know, <laughs> that's really the lesson. I, and yeah, I mean, the with that, with that sort of political strategy came a legal strategy. And so modern conservative legal scholars have latched on to the idea um, that is enshrined in the Constitution that states control their own elections. Right. States can pass have their own ha- control their own elections to some degree. Um, and. Of course, that's like sort of in the narrow sense, unquestionably true, but they've sort of interpreted it in such a way that is designed to give states free reign to pass all sorts of voter suppressive tactics um, and laws in in order to combat what they are presenting as ostensible fraud, which, of course, is uh, a slightly exaggerated form of what is actually happening. Slightly. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you could say that. (laughs) 
So I think that kind of brings us to like the modern Supreme Court and and the treatment of voting mm-hmm. rights uh, during the um, Chief Justice John Roberts era. So, you know, a really important case um, that came down in 2013 is a case called Shelby County. And this was a case that um, is known as kind of um, gutting the Voting Rights Act. Right. Um, so this is a majority opinion written by Chief Justice John Roberts. And just a note that, um, you know, when uh, before John Roberts was Chief Justice John Roberts, uh, when he was a younger lawyer uh, working for um, working uh, in the 80s uh, during the Reagan administration, he was writing tons of memos about how the Voting Rights Act is unconstitutional and uh, and um, shouldn't be expanded. And so, you know, all of this sort of um, the conservative legal movement that has um, grown around sort of uh, suppressing the vote and um, and. And uh, trying to pick away at the Voting Rights Act, Mm -hmm. you know, that has that has really just continued with uh, John Roberts now in in the position of chief justice on the Supreme Court. So um, uh, so talking about Shelby County, Shelby County, like I said, is a 2013 case out of Alabama, and it concerns the Voting Rights Act Um, under the Voting Rights Act that Peter mentioned. um, You know, it, it prohibited racial discrimination in voting sort of broadly. But there are some really complicated provisions in there for um, you know, trying to make that a reality in the, in, in the United States. So um, in Shelby County, though, the Supreme Court held uh, that the formula that's set out in the Voting Rights Act, this formula that sets out which jurisdictions get federal oversight over um, changing their voting laws uh, because those jurisdictions had been racist in creating voting laws in the past, uh, the Shelby County decision holds that that formula is unconstitutional. So, uh, you know, broadly speaking, this is this is completely gutting the Voting Rights Act because the law really only means something. It only has accountability measures for uh, these places that have a history of racist voting restrictions uh, if that formula is in place mm-hmm. for determining which places are historically racist, right? Um, and, uh, you know, Chief Justice John Roberts writing for the majority, he, he justifies that holding in two really dumb ways. Uh, First, he's got like this long tangent about state sovereignty. Like Peter said earlier, you know, they're they're always balancing this individual right to vote versus a state's right to carry out elections uh, and voting the way the state deems it wants to do so. Um, And so there's a long tangent about uh, state sovereignty in Shelby County. And then um, there's this other tangent that uh, Roberts goes on where um, he's talking Talking about um, how voter turnout is actually up in these historically <laughs> racist jurisdictions, you know, racial discrimination is now uh, not so much of a problem anymore, and so and so we don't need this Voting Rights Act coverage uh, the same way we used to need it, and of course. He leaves like completely unsaid that the entire reason voter turnout is up and discrimination in voting is lower is because right. of the Voting Rights Act. Right. How um, I, I so. just don't understand how this ha- you get away with that. Like, I mean, I do understand, <laughs> but it it's like, come on, you're not even you're not even exactly saying you're saying it out loud without <laughs> right. saying it right. out loud. Yes. 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. A, a big part of our podcast is about how uh, the Supreme Court is often saying the quiet parts of the conservative yeah. legal movement. They're saying the quiet parts out loud. And um, it seems like nobody is really getting that. Um, well, so you, you dress it up a- in big words and make it sound one way. And, and people are like, I don't know. I'm not going to dissect this. I don't know. That's, That's a simpl- exactly right. simplistic answer. But... No, anyway. I, that's exactly right. It's um, it's absolutely part of the political game uh, of the of the GOP. So, um, you know, as a result, as a direct result of the Shelby County decision, you know, the consequences are sort of uh, are they're nearly immediate. You get relentless systemic voter disenfranchisement and and suppression uh, within 24 hours of the ruling, uh, which was, again, back in 2013, Texas said uh, that it was going to be enforcing its voter ID law without getting preclearance from the federal government, for example. And um, the decision also directly resulted in states all over the country passing laws that uh, did a whole host of voter suppressive stuff, Uh, stuff like removing online voting registration and early voting, uh, implementing voter ID laws, purging voters off of the registration rolls, um, closing polling locations, on and on and on. Um, And there have been studies about the effects of the Shelby County ruling. Um, Five years after the decision, Thousands of polling locations had been closed across the country. The U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, in fact, found that after the ruling, there had been an increase in discriminatory laws that made it harder for minorities to vote. And um, that same year, uh, that would have been 2018, the Brennan Center um, issued a report that found that the Shelby County decision alone by itself was responsible for the purge of two million people from voter rolls across the country in just three years. So, uh, you know, all of that to say that the Roberts court knows what it's doing and and cases like Shelby County fit into a broader conservative project of this voter suppression. Right. Um, And there are other examples uh, from the Roberts court, um, you know, big cases, a case called uh, Rousseau versus Common Cause. That's a case that uh, where the court ruled that partisan gerrymandering uh, is just this purely political issue for which federal courts like they just can't touch it. They can't decide those those <laughs> issues. And um, and there's another really important one. Um, it's important to the conversation about H.R. 1 that we're about to have an important case called Houston. This is a 2018 case out of Ohio in which the court upheld the state's voter caging scheme, which had resulted in hundreds of thousands of otherwise eligible voters to be purged from the state's voter rolls. So what Ohio had done, uh, it, it's uh, it's just as, as um, sort of egregious and also stupid as it sounds. Um, <laughs> what Ohio had done was implement this system in which people who had failed to vote in the previous two years were sent a notice in the mail to confirm their voter status. And if you failed to respond to that uh, to that mail, to that notice, then you were just taken off of the voter rolls in Ohio. Mm. And the majority ruling in Houston, uh, the majority ruling in, at the Supreme Court said basically that even though federal law says you can't purge people off of registered voter lists solely because they sit out an election cycle. Well, Ohio was doing something different because it was purging people off of voter lists who had maybe sat out an election cycle. And they got a notice in the mail. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. You see what they did? Yeah, there? they didn't read the fine. Print. They didn't read the fine right. print. They didn't. Right, uh, they didn't right, opt exactly. in. You're automatically opted out unless you do this. It's just like the exactly. the easiest possible loophole that yeah, you it's, can it's find. It's cable company shit. It's like yeah. it's so insidious. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I am an active voter, and I would definitely. I mean, I, I would miss something like that very easily. I Some don't little check mailer, my mail. Come on, you know, right. totally. shoved into totally. all the like advertisement things that you always just recycle. Yeah, and studies and and briefing uh, for that case um, at the Supreme Court showed that, you know, it was really hard for people to get back, even when they wanted to be active voters. Uh, it was really hard for people to respond to um, something as minor as, like, just getting this this notice in the mail. And, you know, Justice Sotomayor uh, wrote in dissent in, in the Houston case, a dissent that, you know, we largely agree with. Uh, and she said that this kind of system puts too much of an onus on registered vot- voters to stay registered. And it also disproportionately burdens uh, minority communities, the poor and disabled voters in particular. Mm-hmm. So we move now uh, to looking forward a little bit. Um, this past month, the issue of voting rights was again before the Supreme Court. And um, we don't have a ruling on these cases yet. But but voting rights are again gravely at risk now with a Six to three conservative supermajority deciding the issue here. Um, And so there were two cases, actually, that were argued um, earlier in March. Uh, The first is Brnovich versus DNC, the Democratic National Committee. And the other one is the um, a case called Arizona Republican Party versus DNC. Both by, of the, these cases, by the way, Riyad, sorry to interrupt, but uh, a cool uh-huh. a cool tip if you're not a lawyer is if you ever see a, a political party on one side of the V <laughs> in a Supreme Court case, <laughs> terrible news. Mm-hmm. Uh, bad right. things okay. coming. <laughs> Thank you. That is helpful. I'm not familiar uh-huh. with all of this. <laughs> also, yeah. weirdly, specifically the Arizona. Oh yeah, GOP. they they make a lot of appearances. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. In Arizona voting in general. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, uh, these. Yeah, these folks are litigious. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, both of these cases are out of Arizona, and they're both um, challenges to two Arizona laws that make it more difficult to vote. So the first is a law that requires voting officials in Arizona to discard ballots cast in the wrong precinct in their entirety. So instead of like simply not counting votes for local candidates who the voter should not have been able to vote for and, you know, uh, like perhaps counting the votes for, say, like statewide offices or, or statewide elections. the This law requires that uh, voting officials cast out the entire ballot if it's incorrectly um, cast in the wrong precinct. Um, The second is a law that prohibits many forms of of what's called ballot collection, where a voter might fill out their absentee ballot um, completely legally uh, and completely in good faith. Um, They would fill out their absentee ballot and then say, give it to someone else. And that person delivers the ballot to the election Mm -hmm. office. Um, (laughs) This law prohibits many forms of that kind of ballot collection, which, uh, you know, if you're paying attention, makes it harder to submit your ballot. Right. Yeah. This is what. we hear of as mm-hmm. ballot harvesting a lot, you know, mm-hmm. that's yeah. right. And people yeah. inflame that and, and try to make it sound right. like something it isn't. 
Exactly. Right. And and the risk here with um, with the decision on these cases at the Supreme Court, which we don't know um, which way it's going to come down. But, you know, based on um, based on these past cases that I've talked about in the Roberts court on voting rights issues, it's uh, pretty scary. The risk isn't necessarily just that these laws in Arizona would be upheld and, and it, you know, makes it harder for people to vote there, but also that the court issues a ruling that sort of further weakens the Voting mm-hmm. Rights Act, just like they did in Shelby County. So if the court rules on these cases that there are limits to certain provisions of the Voting Rights Act, um, you know, it would basically give state officials really sweeping broad authority to enact racist election laws. Yeah. Oof. This is a lot. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where we stand now. Clear-eyed, full hearts. Could very, very easily lose. Um, yeah, right. Um, so we're, Voting Rights Act already has been gutted effectively in the, in the places that it is needed. And right. and these these upcoming cases would be like the nails in the, the coffin. Right. It, it yeah, sort of yeah. just further threatens. Um, they, they very much could be. Nationwide. But, um, you know, there is some hope. Here we go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love a hopeful. And, and this show is called Even More News. We should actually talk about some some news, right? Some. Yeah. I would, lo- I would love so that. So we should talk about uh, H.R. 1, the We the People Act, which um, one thing mm-hmm. that is uh, nice is that uh, back at the top of the episode, uh, Peter mentioned that a lot of times voting rights is this sort of balance between the individual voter against the state's uh, sort of individual state's ability to, you know, manage its own elections. But the Constitution actually gives federal Congress the power to override the states. And it says Congress may at any time by law make or alter uh, the regulations uh, because it has to be able to govern its own elections. Um, in federal elections. And so that yeah. gives Congress a, a lot of power to legislate here, in addition to the Reconstruction Amendments, uh, like the 14th and 15th Amendment, which not only refer to a right to vote, but give pong- Congress the power to legislate to enforce it. So, uh, you know, and the Democrats have taken, seized that sort of moment here um, with the We the People Act, and it is a big comprehensive um, and and very strong bill. Uh, It covers voting stuff. It covers campaign finance stuff. It covers ethics rules. Um, It's way too much to go into um, in detail. Yeah, it's a lot. It's like 800 pages. I read every one. You did not. (laughs) I'm going to say I did. Nobody can prove otherwise. (laughs) I believe that you did. (laughs) Um. So, uh, but I do want to talk about... Real quick, I feel like so many no, lawmakers do no. not read all the text, right? That has to be no, true. No, they they read their no, okay. to it. And it's usually only not. like a few key lawmakers yeah. on like important committees and stuff. And then they sort of distribute literature or breaking it down. Gotta say, yeah. makes me nervous anyway. <laughs> Don't love it. Yeah. No, How many fact, people do yeah. not read the laws they're passing? What were you going to say? No, no. Fun fact. Michael is the only person in America who actually reads <laughs> yeah, the right. legislative text of, of all of these the, bills. That's a big responsibility I, I for you, one, Michael. Though, so, you know. <laughs> um, so I, the, I, I do want to talk. The voting stuff is fantastic. Uh, it's really, really great. Yeah. Um, the voter registration stuff is super comprehensive. 
Um, it includes automatic voter registration, which means anytime you give your information to a state government, um, you'd be registered to vote. And you'd have to affirmatively opt out of that. So you get your driver's license. Um, you go to school. Universities would become uh, registrant mm -hmm. institutions. This is all common. That's common sense yeah. to me. Yeah. Well, right. the idea that like you decide if you right. don't want to be registered. Yeah. You, like right. the like the baseline is right. you exactly. can vote. The, now. the baseline is you're you're an eligible voter, so we're registering for you to vote. And if you want out, that's fine. But otherwise, if we know who you are, we're gonna we're gonna make you a voter. Um, and it makes it super easy. You can uh, it it mandates online registration, uh, including updating your information. Um, it mandates same day registration, so you could go to the polls on election day and register to vote if you are not yet registered or registered in the wrong place. It mandates That's 15 amazing. days of early voting, including uh, at least, I think, two weekend days, um, which is excellent. That's a big way that uh, the Republican big, yeah. Party has tried to limit uh, access to the ballot. Um, it makes mail voting very easy and expansive. It has to be accessible to everyone. It has to include return postage so you don't have to have ballot harvesting issues, right? You can just stick it in the mail. Does it also include <laughs> something about uh, all mail-in ballots have to be in the a, a certain class of postage so that it is yeah, accurate yeah, delivery Yeah, that's my times. understanding as well. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it also, I think something I'm really excited about, it mandates the reenfranchisement of uh, former felons upon release from prison. Mm -hmm. um, this is like a live issue right now in uh, Florida where, uh, you know, by ballot referenda, the citizens tried to reenfranchise former felons and the Republican legislature immediately like kneecapped it. By saying, you know, even if you served your time, if you haven't paid all your fees, uh, you know, you're still not you haven't completed your sentence. And so you still don't get your rights restored. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, we don't know what fees you owe and we won't be able to tell you what fees you owe yeah, until right. 2026 at the earliest. So mm -hmm. sorry, it's going to yeah. be eight Democracy, plus baby. years before you can vote. <laughs> it makes my blood boil. Everything, I mean. All of no, this. Sorry to keep means, interjecting, I but I, it's but but everything and, and all of it and just the yes, very right. blatant tactic of we just don't want right. people to vote. We don't want you to show up because then the only people who show up right. are white wealthy it, people. It responds yeah. directly exactly. to the, the Houston 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 uh, decision that. Mm -hmm. Husted. I thought it was Husted, I'm going to be honest, until, until Ree started saying yeah. Houston, and now I don't know. I've the Husted sounds like a, a cool action movie. <laughs> it does. I'm going to be honest. I didn't know for sure. And what I said to myself is what I say to myself before I go into court, yeah. which is fake it till you mm -hmm. make yeah. it. You just yeah. got to say it just confidently. Yeah. I do it all the time. <laughs> I really do. I, I get a lot of feedback for that but, but it works for the moment and that's all i care about but it does it says that decision was wrong it it prohibits uh caging uh caging efforts which is when you send mail and then if you get it like returned non-forwardable mail if you get it returned kicking people off the rolls it said it, it reaffirms that like not voting in a an election cycle or two is not uh, grounds to remove someone from the rolls. So it would undo that decision and make it much harder to purge the voter rolls. Um, it cracks down on uh, a really loathsome practice called prison gerrymandering. Prisons are used to boost the populations of 
conservative rural areas um, with non-voters, mm-hmm. right? right? It's pulling minorities right. out of urban areas and putting them into rural areas and, and increasing the power of conservative areas without changing the actual demographic makeup of the voting po- population. That's it's so it's pretty fun. gross. Right. Um, right. Just like direct um, parallels yes. to the three-fifths conference. I was going to yes. say, like, that's direct. exactly yeah. um, uh, it. All, yeah. That's so transparent. <laughs> it also generally uh, cracks down on uh, partisan gerrymandering overall by mandating that uh, congressional districts are drawn by an independent commission. You know, I've seen this provision criticized by some people who don't think independent commissions are all that great. But I will tell you what, it is far, far preferable to what what we have now. What? Yeah, Absolutely. what's... Th- th- the alternative. I think the alternative is, is literally like a biased is like proportional <laughs> representation in multi-member districts. Like that's that's okay. the only yeah. like true way to to end some sort of redistricting redistricting shenanigans is mm-hmm. is just proportional mm-hmm. representation. Um, so uh, in addition to all that good stuff, there's also lots of good campaign finance stuff. Um, uh, dark money disclosure uh, requirements, especially, and cracking down on all the ways that the uh, disclosure uh, requirements are already, you know, sort of evaded. And a nice, the Senate bill has a nice uh, federal matching funds for small donor fueled uh, Senate campaigns. So if you reject large, so the Senate bill would be additions to right. Plan so HR one passed the House. And Senate yeah. Bill 1 is now under discussion in the Senate, which is very, very similar. Yes. Um, but it includes this the, the matching funds for Senate races, which is yeah. nice. Six, six to one matching funds if you go the small donor route. Uh, there's other stuff in there about like legislative findings in in case they want, you know, in order to pass a new Voting Rights Act, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which is a, a separate bill that's working its way through Congress, legislative findings in support of making D.C. a state, which is itself another bill. Uh, I think it's H.R. 51 that's making its way through Congress. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff in here. That, of course, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, a, it's a great bill. rules. <laughs> that's the conclusion. <laughs> yeah, and I, it's kind of thrilling to see a bill that I do yeah, that, it's like ambitious. So much, you know, without as many things where you're like, oh, I wish this, I wish yeah, that. Like, oh, this is like, it's, this, really is kinda, yeah. this is a yeah. good, this is a good, kind of yeah. nailing it yeah. here. Yeah. And for yeah. years, just knowing like, yeah, as it builds and builds and builds, it's like, you have to chip away at so right. many things. Right. So, oh, and, right. and one thing I wanted to mention also is that it, it uh, they, it prohibits voter ID laws, which is, very nice as well. So you could same day register just with like uh, an affidavit and a signature. So really, really nice. Yeah. One thing that I saw that I, I I thought was cool, and I don't have it in front of me because that would be too smart. Um, <laughs> uh, but some sort of a change to the rules, spending rules, so that you could use campaign funds for let's That's say right. like childcare for a candidate's um, personal expenses, which. Um, Opens the door for people, for more right. people to run. It for makes office, it more accessible, you know. Which is to me feels like that is that yeah. that alone is huge. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And 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 exactly. Yeah. What and we there's need. a lot of accessibility stuff as well for uh, both for making it easier to run for office and also to make it easier to vote. Uh, even stuff about uh, maybe having like there's like uh, they want to do a study on. 
being able to vote from your home if you're if you have like a significant disability. Um, How would that like? I think that like I think it would be like people would go to their house. Like I think it's like literally. Oh, oh amazing! Or, yeah, or like, like, a, like the yeah. right color smoke out your <laughs> chimney, like the Pope. <laughs> yeah. I think you'd like make a request <laughs> yeah, online, have, and then somebody would like go to your home and and yeah. Have right. have we looked at yeah. the carrier pigeons? Yeah. Because that seems really nonpartisan. Yeah, we'll get get the we joy on that. So yeah. I think what's exciting about this bill too is that it's not like. You know, it's not coming from the left fringe of the party. It passed the House already with, like, the entire party behind it. Um, It has 49 co-sponsors in the Senate. (laughs) The entire caucus is sponsoring it. Um, Wow. uh, Except for Joe Manchin of West Virginia. Mm -hmm. There uh, is. There's our guy. Before we yell at him, I, I want... The president of the United States. <laughs> <Right>. Exactly. <laughs> I, uh, I want to say Manchin uh, co-sponsored a basically identical bill in the last Congress. Um, he's not against, I don't think, any of the provisions in this bill. He just, like, yes, he just loves he the drama. He just wants to <laughs> keep that for. position. He lives for the drama. That's right. So he released. Which makes me like him much less. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like him at he, all anyway. Uh, he released a statement <laughs> saying that he thought something like this um, should be bipartisan. Um, and he outlined what he thought yeah. were provisions yeah, within luck, the bill that he thinks could garner <laughs> bipartisan support. And those included 15 days of early voting. It included um, some Native American uh, voting rights uh, stuff that's in the bill that's also good. And it included uh, the campaign finance stuff, especially the disclosure um, that would hit, you know, wealthy donors. Um, that stuff's all very popular. Uh, one thing we know is uh, one one reason we know why that stuff is very popular is because we have a leaked recording of Mitch McConnell and legislative aides talking to <laughs> one of the Cokes, I think it's David Koch, right? Back in January about this bill, frustrated uh, with how popular the bill is and especially how popular the uh, disclosure requirements are. <laughs> and they're like they're going on about how they've been message testing it and everybody loves it even republicans love it and they try to attach yeah. stuff to it they're like if we put aoc's name on it it's still popular if we say it's cancel culture it's still popular <laughs> there, there's like we can't we, but those yeah. are the only moves and they what are, are they very do? upset about it they don't like it at all and uh you know their conclusion was that like we're not going to win this as a public relations battle we need to win this um, they said under the dome, which means like, you know, killing it in committee, mm. killing it with the filibuster, uh, something like that. That's the thing. When you make progress, when people st- – when a, when, a, when a new idea takes hold, when progress mm. is made, it's very hard right, to exactly. change They're it like, back once this people expect one, that. Once, we're, That's right. once this passes, it's going to be hard to undo uh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And, right, and so right. – but what yeah. this means for Manchin is like, uh, you know, I think – I think what he's done here is savvy. Um, I, I really do. Because if mm-hmm. you compare it to like the way Democrats bungled uh, the health care negotiations, there they spent months yeah. uh, negotiating with individuals about like what they do or don't want in the bill. Instead, Manchin's outlined what he thinks a bipartisan compromise should look like. 
right? He said these things should have support. There are individual bills about this stuff that had bipartisan co-sponsors, right? And put the ball in the Republicans' court and said, like, here you go. I'm ready to to negotiate mm-hmm. with you on a smaller bill, but this is what it should look like. And now the onus is on them to come up with 10 or more votes um, that could pass something like that, which is not going to happen because precisely what we were just saying, yeah. McConnell uh, and their big money backers hate this stuff. And they especially hate the the money stuff that Manchin likes. Um, so that that's not going to happen. And when that doesn't happen, that's when, you know, he's going to be put to the question, which is, so what do you want to do? Do you actually want to legislate? Do you want to pass this stuff? Because right. if you do, you have to reform the filibuster. Um, and he's made good good noise on that, I think, about not em- uh, eliminating it, but putting in a talking filibuster, things like that. Let's break that down, what, what that means, because just for people, what, what, what a, a, a change like that would look like if not eliminating the filibuster altogether. Before mm-hmm. Michael starts, before Michael starts, mm-hmm. <laughs> because he definitely knows, I just want to say, Katie, that uh, while we were prepping for this, I... Not so jokingly, <laughs> half jokingly, <laughs> was like, Peter, Michael, can you guys explain to me what the filibuster is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, before we go on this show, <laughs> I'm so glad you did. And I'm so glad you shared that because I've had the fill, I've talked about the filibuster with people and I have like a general right. idea, sure, like enough right, to yeah. get by. Exactly. But I'm not going to try to break it down for anybody. Right. So right. do you and- feel comfortable explaining it instead of Michael? Then? Oh yeah, see how, see how well he did. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, because these losers didn't didn't explain Uh-oh. it to me. That's even because though I, asked. I don't know. Here's I mean, the thing: I, I don't no one's ever read the filibuster law, so it's all no up one knows debate. what it is, except for Michael. Except for Michael. <laughs> what Katie, what Katie left out of the story of when all of the people on Twitter told uh, told you to to do yeah. a crossover with us is that it was originally for the impeachment. Yeah, and it then was. You did reach out, and we were like, we have no idea what's going on. <laughs> we cannot talk it's true. about that. <laughs> that, that. That was true. It's true. Yeah. And we got a great guest. But uh, <laughs> So, yeah, Michael, all, right. all so, eyes on you. So the yeah. thing is, the way the filibuster works right now is um, you don't really have to do anything to kill a bill. You can basically uh-huh. uh, call a vote. And as long as you can muster 41 votes against uh, moving forward with debate, um, the bill is dead. Um, what a talking filibuster does is makes you actually hold the floor if you want to delay a vote, right? And actually Mm -hmm. debate, right? The idea is like, if you really feel strongly about something, go up there and argue against it and you'll have the floor as long as you want it. And if your will is strong enough, maybe you'll outlast uh, the sponsors of the bill. Maybe they'll say, you know what? I don't... or if your right. points are good enough, right? If you, if you do a full Mr. Right. Smith goes to or Washington, then everyone will yeah, agree yeah, If you're you. sweating enough. You, exactly, you convince yeah. people with like your arguments or your conviction or, or whatever, right? In reality. Or green eggs and ham, yeah. whichever one. Yeah. Or green eggs and ham. In reality, that almost never works and it just delays time. things, right? Well, right. and what it it can do is right. make you look and, and dumb, and I think. Yes. You're getting up there yeah. and you're like, you're really killing time when you're – you're not giving any more compelling no. points. So. And, and the incentives right. for right. Republicans are entirely different, right? Like it's easy to be one out of mm-hmm. 45 Republicans who are voting uh, no on cloture, which is what it's called when you try to like break a filibuster. 
um, that's like sort of an anonymous thing, right? That you don't have to do anything for. It's quite another thing to be the guy who's sitting up there reading Green Eggs and Ham um, right. for seven hours right. straight because he doesn't like this bill that, you know, Republicans themselves have conceded is wildly popular. Right. Like nobody wants to be that guy, the one who's on the news. So uh, it makes it a lot harder individually (laughs) and as a caucus for uh, them to do any sort of obstruction. They could delay a little bit, you Mm. know, but uh, if this if it becomes a talking filibuster, then this law will be passed. And I think it will be passed in basically the shape it is now. So that's exciting. Right. And wow. and if they do read Dr. Seuss, it won't be green eggs and ham. It'll be <laughs> the old racist ones. <laughs> well, that's what it would be. You know, you know yeah. that they will. You know yes. that they oh, will. Oh, absolutely. They're so, salivating. Yeah, they want it's to. good. I think it's good. The stuff he's talked about. And, and one of the reforms he's shown like an openness to is even better, which is like uh, you have to hold 41 votes uh, all the time. So it's not just that one or two people can be in there filibustering. You have to keep your caucus in there. So, like, the entire Republican mm-hmm. Party, essentially, would need to be in the Senate continuously for 10, 12, 24, 48 hours. Oh, it's they not doing they, that. But they yeah, hate there's, being there's in session. Nothing <laughs> senators hate more than stuff. being in chambers doing their job. So, that is... Yeah. Uh, yeah. And look, yeah. I get it. Yeah. But we also hate but, them. And, I mean, and same, but I didn't ask for the job. So. so That's right. right. Yeah. Um, do you think... I mean, you sound I, hopeful about it, uh, about that. Do you think that we would get to that point? Do you think Manchin? Do you I think actually, that we would get there? I yeah. do. I'm cautiously, cautiously optimistic about it. Yeah, It's infecting me. There, and I love it. Um, you know, I people know. joke about what they call like the Manchin cycle, which is where he, you know, makes a lot of noise about bipartisanship, criticizes the Democrats, maybe even wants to change a bill. Uh, but, you know, the end of the cycle is always him voting with the party on important procedural votes. Yeah. And, you know, I think one way to read his statement is just like a prelude to this, right? Like so that he can he can vote to reform the filibuster more in sorrow than in anger sort of thing, right? Like, look, I am trying. Right. Like, yeah, yeah look, yeah, what, they, yeah, look yeah. what they made me yeah, do. Exactly. I didn't want to, look, but they forced I, my I'm hand. I'm doing my best, oh, yeah. but you're forcing my hand. Um, which is very similar to what happened yeah. with the uh, s- the uh, stimulus, the COVID stimulus bill, which is like, you know, he put together a bipartisan group and they came up with a $600, $600 billion bill, which is like a third of what Biden suggested. And they had one negotiation yeah, where right, it's clear things right. weren't in good faith and they moved on and that was it. Right. And, and Manchin yeah. voted with the party. He was like, all right, that. That was a waste. <laughs> so yeah, it's like a series of just like him constantly learning what it's like yes. to try to work with Republicans. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a goldfish yeah. is constantly having. But to uh, you know, it works for him. <laughs> so as long if, if we get there, yeah. I feel I do. I feel good about this. I feel I'm feeling optimistic. Maybe I'll have to eat those words, but uh, you know. Maybe. I don't. I don't feel optimistic. But again, I don't know what the filibuster is. So <laughs> I was going to say, please elaborate. I need to be brought back down to earth here. But <laughs> it's weird. And for my part, I just feel smarter now that I've yeah. uh, learned a little bit uh, about the no, filibuster. No I definitely you, feel smarter. Um, it's strange to. It's strange. What are these yeah, feelings of hope? Yeah, I know. It's. <laughs> right. 
I mean, I say that jokingly, but it's kind of been hitting me this week. I mean, this conversation for sure, but you know, uh, COVID in general and where we're at and, and it's felt so long, like everything's a dead end. Sort of counterintuitive about this dynamic where I think it's almost easier for Democrats um, now with 50 votes than it was when they had 60. When you have 60 votes, it's like, you only need one or two, right? And it, so it feels like it's like the carrot's like right, right there, out of just out of reach, mm-hmm. uh, and worth going for. But here, it's like the Republicans, you know, they need to make a credible offer that they could get ten or more votes for something, right? And if they come with ten right. people, all it takes is one defector to like scuttle it, right? So mm. it makes it much harder for them to put up a credible argument that they're going to be good faith negotiators and and are going to come together on a bill that can get 60 votes. It's just it's just a much less uh persuasive position they're in, right? So they yeah. you know they're they don't have that sort of like like the you know it's like a kabuki show and there this is one that's like just not that that's not that's not the word, that's not the word that but so I just was like I can't <laughs> think of what I'm saying so I'm going to go a different direction. But it's like a particularly bad kabuki show here when they try to say that they're yeah. going to work in a bipartisan way. It's just like it's like are you, that's a fucking joke. Like, you know, like Yeah, no, yeah, it's all political right. theater. Right. That's all they that's all they engage. So, it's Exactly. Yeah, it, it's um you know, for it turns out that having a very slim majority actually just puts a lot more pressure on the Democrats to just vote as a party um, and get stuff done. And mm. uh, so far, it seems like they might actually want to do that, which is I, weird to say. Weird to say. <laughs> weird to say. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, welcome. It's nice. But, uh, yeah, very the odd. words feel yeah, foreign yeah. in the mouth, but yeah, 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 yeah. I could yeah. I could adjust to this. So yeah, this has been so informative and very interesting. Uh, you guys are awesome. I, I'm like, is it, are, do we have while we have them there, Cody? You got any questions? You can law about them. Um, you know, Supreme Court questions. Law. Who's the worst one? Or I, I don't know. Like, what is the Supreme Court? Um, yeah. No, uh, yeah. I'm kind of curious. I got this, guys. Uh, yeah, I got this one. Um, kind of curious, like just like being like lawyers and online and like engaging in all this stuff. Um, you're gonna see like a lot of a lot of very bad faith arguments against certain mm. bills or, or cases and things like that. Um, and I guess just sort of like generally, like, is there one that like really stands out at you? Like yesterday I saw, like, I'm sure you saw it too. Like uh, Ben Shapiro is talking about how like, actually like long lines isn't voter suppression. Right. It's like Disney world. That's not ride suppression. It's like, <laughs> oh that's just God. like nonsense. And you think about it for more than one right. second and you're fine. You just, like leave it alone. <laughs> but is there like something like that that you've seen sort of catch catch fire like i know a lot of uh you know just in voting a lot of the republican talking point is like they uh it's not that they don't want people to vote it's that the democrats want everyone to vote they're like gonna bring all these people then right. force them to vote for them um yeah. and it's like anything like that about hr1 um that you think is like particularly bad faith i think that the the real thing you learn when you dig into this stuff is that the distance between the Ben Shapiro's of the world and the John Roberts's of the world is far, far uh, smaller than you'd think. Um, yeah. The the you know the sort of the Supreme Court jurisprudence on voter suppression is complete vibes work. They're just like, well, you know, 
the states say that there's fraud um, and we should let them. <laughs> right. You know, we should let we have to. Right. That's their prerogative. Right. Yeah. Um, and any any uh, peeling back that curtain and you're just immediately like, well, but there's not. Right. Like there's tons of objective reality uh, that uh, that sort of puts the lie to this. And you'll never get past that. I mean, the mm. when it comes to stuff like voter suppression, where one side has an incredibly obvious interest in suppressing the vote and everyone knows what they're doing and everyone knows that the voter fraud thing is is bullshit, right? Like no one actually, especially among like the justices of the Supreme Court, no one actually believes that there's yeah. significant voter fraud, right? And I think the one thing that I've learned from doing the podcast and reading more Supreme Court cases than I uh, have since I was in law school is <laughs> that they don't have like they don't have like extra good yeah. reasoning, you know. They're not mm, like about right. to blow your mind with, right. um, with their legal reasoning. It's just sort of like a slightly more advanced Ben Shapiro, um, and maybe not even that much yeah. more advanced. Uh, you know, he went to Harvard Law. Right. It's the same basic right. mind at right. work there. Yeah, absolutely. Like, what's the difference between Ben Shapiro saying long lines at the voter polls are like, or at, you know, at, at voting places are is the same as long lines is at Disneyland? What is the difference between that and John Roberts saying in Shelby County, right, that uh, you know racism right. isn't really a problem anymore in voting, right? right? Like that, there isn't a lot of distance between yeah. those things and so um also yeah, who of, thinks that long lines are like not a problem yeah. at right. disneyland like, it's a huge right. problem I, you can pay you can pay to skip the line right and right. they have a specific thing so that you can skip right. the line because right. nobody likes yeah. long lines you right. can pay three hundred dollars and go i don't know if you've line. ever been also, right. that's a line yeah. for fun it's <laughs> look i've been many times uh because i grew up in florida and every time there were rides you'd be like i want to go Show on that and then you'd look at the line and be like Nope. <laughs> no, it's a deterrent. Although I will right, say that I, right. I feel like Ben Shapiro would actually support a law that says that you can pay an extra three hundred dollars yes. to skip the voting line, right? Well, like he would, he would definitely right. support something like that. Yeah. I mean, 100%. absolutely. Also, if you're going to make that comparison, keep the polls open till ten, right. like Disneyland, <laughs> where people get to come <laughs> later yeah. in the day. Exactly. Mm. Gosh. Yeah. Yes. And imagine how bad it would be for Ben Shapiro if you got to the if you waited for hours to vote, you got to the front and there was a sign that said you must be this tall. <laughs> I'm so glad you did that. I was really, really hoping that's what where you were going. Look, it didn't it didn't quite fit, but I I had it to get it. No, it did. It was really good. <laughs> Guys, this has been really, really fun, and I definitely would love to have you back i feel like i'm on a first date and i'm like if, if that's cool with <laughs> did you, it work, you did ever, it work yeah if you ever did want you like to. me i really liked you <laughs> i felt like there was a vibe but and no pressure absolutely um right. but yeah we, we would really love that can you just quickly like share where people can find you online share your patreon all that stuff and we'll link it as well yeah, we're um, on Twitter at 54pod, all spelled out 54pod, and same place on Patreon, patreon.com slash 54pod. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. 5 to 4 is presented by Prologue Projects. Our artwork is by Teddy Blanks at Chips NY, and our theme song is by Spatial Relations. 